Well, let me ask you as we get started, have you ever been afraid of missing out on something? Have you ever thought, man, I don't want to miss out on, and then for each one of us, probably hundreds of different answers. I don't want to miss that moment. I don't want to miss that experience. I saw the, the idea of a fear of missing out illustrated powerfully several months ago. I was actually um, going through social media on my phone as I was walking into a store, and I saw this video, and I popped this video up. It was called Look Up. It went viral. Millions of people have seen it. Maybe you've seen it. It's a spoken word poet, uh, poetic piece that has a video that supports it that's basically about how we miss out on so much of life looking down on our phones. It's called Look Up. And it's, you know, using our iPads, our computers, it talks about how social media is anything but social. We go into a room and we close the door all by ourselves and we get social. <laughs> and we have chats with people that we never make eye contact with. In fact, the whole piece starts with a guy coming on there and saying, I have 422 friends, yet I'm lonely. I speak to them every day, but none of them know me. And he continues to go on and talk about how we've actually isolated ourselves through social media and through our devices and through all of our gadgets. He says this line I want to read to you. He says, all this technology, it's just an illusion of community, companionship, a sense of inclusion. Yet when you step away from this divisive delusion, you awaken to a world of confusion. That's where many of us live. And what happens in this uh, spoken word poem and this video is that it goes on from there and it shows people missing out on life because they're on a phone, they're on a device, things are happening around them, it shows them having experiences and taking a selfie of it so they can share it with all their friends, but then their friends disappear because they're not engaged with the people that are actually with them because they're trying to share with their hundreds of friends. And it goes on and it shows about a dad. It says, how can you try and be the world's greatest dad if you can't entertain a kid without an iPad? And how do we have these chats with one another, but we never make eye contact? And how we're missing out is the point. But where it really got powerful for me was about two and a half minutes into this video. It's about a five-minute video. They show this guy, and he's a younger guy, 20s or 30s, and he's walking along. He's wearing a a jacket like it's kind of colder outside and some jeans. And He's walking up to this corner of this intersection. He's got this piece of paper, and he's reading this piece of paper, and he's looking around, and you can tell he's lost. And this young lady comes up who's about the same age as him. They bump into each other. He starts talking to her clearly about the piece of paper, and they start to walk off together. And then the video and the lyrics of the poem continue to talk about their relationship and how their relationship develops. It shows them going out on their first date. And it shows her looking at him for the first time. And if you've ever experienced this, you know this look, where you look at somebody, it doesn't matter what they're saying, and you just think, I like you. And you start to adore them. It's kind of an adoring look. And so they show that scene. And they show the scene where they get in their first fight with one another, (laughs) but they continue to have a relationship. So you've probably experienced that before as well. And then it shows how he proposes to her. He gets down on his knee, he gives her a ring, and then how they find out they're having their first child, and they deliver the first child, and then they show him holding the baby in a, a rocking chair, falling in love all over again, but now with this little girl. Even the video shows the little girl grow up. And they make all these memories, and then she brings her little baby to him. And towards the end of the video, he's got gray hair. He's sitting in a rocking chair. He's holding a baby again, but it's his grandchild. And then it shows him standing before a wall of all these pictures and all these memories that he made. And then the last scene of him and his wife is that she's in a bed. He's holding her hand. The poetic lyrics make it clear that she's dying. He kisses her on the head, and, and he leaves the room. And then the video goes back to the spot where he's walking, and he's a young man in his 20s or 30s, wearing a black jacket and the jeans, and he's walking, and instead of having a piece of paper in his hand, he's got his phone in his hand. And he walks up to this intersection, and the phone's apparently showing him where to go, and the young lady comes walking by, and she walks right past him. Now listen, I don't care what you're like emotionally inside. I know some people are emotional, some people are like robotic internally. I don't care who you are. When you watch the video, you go, hey man, that's your wife! Like, he's just looking at, she walks right past him. It never happens. 
And then the, the point of the poem, look up. You're going to miss it. You're missing life. Now, I'm not here to talk to you today about how bad cell phones are, how evil devices are. But don't miss out on life. I'm a parent of young kids. So I totally understand babies crying. I'm not bothered by that. Totally understand little kids running around. Your kids come running up here during the message. I'll keep preaching, okay? I'm fine with that. I totally get that. And you know what? Every once in a while, as a parent, you feel like, I'm bothered by the way you're acting. You know what happens to me then? An older parent comes up to me and says, it goes by so fast. And some of you are older parents. Your kids are in college or they're gone or maybe they got married. And do you know what I think at that moment? Oh, I don't, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss these moments. Or some of you, maybe you've seen your friends doing something else on Facebook. And you go and you go, I didn't get invited. I don't want to miss that. It's the fear of missing out. We've been doing this series called What's Next, right? We've talked about it's required. Whatever God has for us next is going to require faith. Whatever God has for us next is going to require humility. We talked about last week. Let me tell you the dangerous thing about what's next. You can miss it. You can miss what God has for you in your life. Many people do. Look at Esau. Look at the Israelites. It happens throughout the Bible. It's probably happened in our own lives, each one of us at times. Some of you might be able to look back at decisions you could have made differently. Things that could have happened in your career, in a relationship with God. We can miss what God has for us. And today we're talking about not missing what's next. Don't miss what's next. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture that says that very thing. In Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to focus in on verses 12 and 13. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 3, it's towards the back of the New Testament. And it's really tied into the first message that we did in this series in Numbers, in Numbers chapter 13. That's the background for Hebrews chapter 3. And what Hebrews is, it's a sermon. Okay, we read it like it's a letter, and it is, it's written down, but it's a preacher preaching. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the past, this is how God spoke. Now, here's how he's speaking. God's speaking to us. And then in chapter 2, it says, Therefore, pay attention. Chapter 2, verse 1, you can read that. And then here we get to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, what the preacher is saying is this, Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't be like those Israelites. And here's the background. Numbers chapter 13. If you weren't here two weeks ago, we talked about how the Israelites got right to the place where they're about to go into the promised land. And they wouldn't walk by faith. They failed to walk by faith. And they missed out. Here's the summary. Don't be like them. And so that's what the preacher is telling us here. He quotes Psalm 95, which is a commentary on numbers. Psalm 95, he says this in verse 7. If you have your Bible, Hebrews 3, 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. God wrote the Bible through men. The Holy Spirit says today. And so he quotes Psalm 95 here. Today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they've not known my ways. So I declare on oath, I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. They missed out. They missed the promised land. They missed God's plan. They missed God's rest. They missed out. Everyone who was 20 years old and older, except for Caleb and Joshua, they missed out. And then verse 12 and 13 are the commentary. That's where we're going to spend our time, on those verses we just read from Psalm 95, which is a commentary on numbers. It's all tied together, the whole Bible. Verse 12. See to it, brothers, the preacher says. See to it. Take heed, some of your translations say. Beware, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. So what's a sinful heart? It's an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Verse 13. But 
Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, because sin is deceitful. So here we have the preacher, he talks about Psalm 95, and then he says, wake up, look up, be alert, pay attention, see to it, beware. This is a warning passage. Warning, you can miss what God has for you. Don't be like the Israelites, sinful, unbelieving heart. Don't miss it. He tells us that we can miss it. He tells us how we can miss it. And then he tells us what to do about it in verse 13. So verse 12 tells us the problem. Verse 13 gives us the solution. Verse 12 tells us here's how we miss what God has for us. We fail to fight sin. See, when we fail to fight sin, we miss what's next. That's our first point. We miss what's next when we fail to fight sin. That's the problem. That's how we miss it. That's what takes place. We fail to fight sin. Now, here's the reality. If you're a follower of Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus, you've placed your faith in him, you're in a battle with sin. What happens at the point of your salvation, you are washed of all your sins, past, present, future. You are cleansed. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. Positionally, before God, he sees you like he sees his son, Jesus Christ. But you still live on this earth. There's still a battle taking place. You still have to, you're a believer in Jesus. You still want to sin sometimes, don't you? You still have temptations to do these things. And so there's a battle. Here's the reality. If you're not fighting sin, one of two things is true about you. One, you're not in Christ. Or you're losing the battle and you may not even realize it. Don't, don't fall captive to the deceptiveness of sin. Don't let your hearts get hardened. You don't even realize it. And so we're in a fight with sin. So we got to, in, in our culture, we got to ask this question. What is sin? What is it? We're so pampered. We're so watered down as a culture. Uh, just a little observation about our culture so you can be aware of one of the deceptions that's taking place. We actually live in a time where people believe if you disagree with them, you don't love them. You can't possibly disagree with me and think that, that, that somehow we're going to be able to have relationships, somehow that you can still demonstrate love, that somehow that we can be okay. If we, everything's got to be okay. So we pamper everything, we water it down, there's no confrontation. That's not what God does. So what we do is we call sins accidents or mistakes or missteps or slips. That's not what sin is. Okay, I heard one preacher say one time, an accident is when you trip and fall. A mistake is what you make in your checkbook. When you sleep with someone you're not married to, that is not an accident. You didn't fall into bed. You didn't miscalculate the circumstances. You sinned. When you lie, you sin. When you gossip, it's not just a slip up, that's sin. It's coming from your sinful heart. Slander, sin. Jealousy, sin. Selfish ambition, sin. It's not just a list of bad deeds. What is sin? Don't let me define it. Let me read you what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who sins, and that's everyone, by the way, Romans 3.23, everyone sins, and everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, here's a definition of sin, sin is lawlessness. It's every time we break a command of God. That's sin. But, but I haven't really done the bad ones. Like, I haven't, I've never, right, you've all had this thought. Whatever you fill in the blank with is like the one you think is worse than yours. Let me read you what James says about that. James chapter 2, verse 10. Forever keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. Imagine you actually didn't do one of the naughty list things for 40 years. And then you called your boss, and you called in sick, and you weren't sick. You broke the whole law. So none of us got a chance, is essentially what we're being told here. But listen, it's not even just that we do bad stuff. Let me tell you what the Bible says about sin. James also says this, anyone 
who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it since. So sin is not just that we lie, cheat, steal, lust, anger, pride, all this. That's sin. That is true. But also, have you ever had a time where you thought, I'm going to help them. I'm going to write them a note. And you didn't write a note. I'm going to write a check, and you didn't write the check. I should, I'm going to go visit, I'm going to call, I'm going to... You had good intentions. You were going to... That's sin. You know the good you ought to do, and you don't do that good? That's sin too. And this is bad stuff. And then the Bible does give us list. How about this? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This is God's list, not my list. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Remember Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Don't... Fall heart, don't fall captive to an unbelieving heart because of sin's deceitfulness. Don't be deceived. That's what God says. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters. An idolater is anyone who puts something in the place of God in their life. So you have your career as the ultimate thing, or whatever it is that drives all your thoughts. It could be a hobby, it could be all kinds of things. And that's all your affections. Everything's going towards the place where God should be. That's an idolater. Idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, or thieves, or the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says it like this to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. So in the end times, it's going to look like this. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Who could even imagine such a time? Without love, unforgiving. Unforgiving makes the list. Unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Who could think of it? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? Who would do such a thing? Having a form, now he's talking about the church, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. Our temptation with that is to then think, oh, those people at like other churches, those people like out in the world. Any of those things hit us? Unforgiving, without self-control, greedy, ungrateful, disobedient to parents. You still honor your parents? You those you're in your 30s and 40s? Brutal? Lovers of money, lovers of self, boastful, proud. I never do any of those things. Okay, boastful, proud, we got it. Mm -hmm. There's a list. There's a list of bad stuff. It's the stuff you don't do that you should do, but it gets worse. You know what the Bible says? It's in our hearts, it's in our minds, it's evil thoughts. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness was on the earth and how it had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, For out of the heart... Come evil thoughts. So murder comes out of the heart. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. It all comes out of the heart. All those things actually are already reality in your hearts. We just don't realize because our hearts are, James, uh, Jeremiah tells us, deceptive and wicked, deceitful above all things. So don't let your heart become unbelieving. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 3 verse 12, don't sin with an unbelieving heart. So what is sin? Here's the toughest definition of sin in the whole Bible. Romans chapter 14 verse 23. Anything that lacks faith is sin. So what is sin? How many things did you do this week that did not require faith in God? And if, just be honest with yourself. How many things did you do in your own strength? 
And I don't care if it's like the noblest task ever done. Like you are preaching the gospel to some homeless people you just brought food to after you gave them clothes and they were about to die. And you did it in your own strength. Or you were like taking the dark garbage out or changing the dishwasher, okay? Out of all the things you did this week, how many of them were without faith? That's sin. Don't be deceived because sin's deceptive. See, sin is like false advertising. Sin promises us something that it doesn't actually deliver on. You ever been duped in false advertising before? You ever bought a product and you're like, oh, they got me. Like, they got their hooks in me. You know, they did it. And you wish you'd get a refund. You wish you would just put it behind you. I was thinking about it this week. I've got multiple experiences. One that I thought of, have you ever bought a printer at like Walmart, Best Buy, Lowe's, wherever you buy printers at? I remember buying this one printer. It was one of those all-in-one printers. It's like, it can do everything. It can scan stuff. It can fax stuff. It can, you know, basically clean out my email box for me, balance the checkbook. Like, it does everything. And it was like 20 bucks. And so you buy the thing. You're like, this is awesome. It does everything. You plug it in, $20. And then the first time it runs out of an ink cartridge, you realize, oh, but those are like $80 a piece. And there's four of them. And if one goes bad, the other three stop working too. What's going on? But now you're into it. Now you're there. And so you got duped. And now where I'm at is, but I already bought this one. I don't want to go buy another one because I'm already invested in this one. So like a moron, I just keep buying ink cartridges. You know, one person said one time about sin, because sin is false advertising, that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's what sin does. It, it, hooks, it gives you a promise. It promises satisfaction in something. It promises fulfillment. It, you won't, it's, it's like Eve in the garden. What does Eve say happens? Why did she sin against God? She had perfect relationship with God. She had perfect relationship with her husband. She's naked. She feels no shame. There is no guilt. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, she says, I was deceived. Well, how was she deceived? She knew that, that God had one rule. Don't eat of this one tree. And the fruit does look good to the eye. And it is of the knowledge of good and evil. Those things that Satan said. You know what Satan lied to her about? Satan said, surely you won't die. God doesn't keep his promises. And then she takes the fruit. She eats it. And now she knows good and evil. But you know what God knew? It was better for her not to know good and evil. Because what happens after that? She knows shame. Why does she put clothes on? She knows guilt. Why is she hiding? And what happens is she was deceived. And what happens for us is we get deceived. We get deceived by sin. Sin is deceitful. It promises this sexual experience that's different than what God's planned and promised for you. It'll bring fulfillment. And you do it. And it, it's like the fruit of the tree in the moment. That was good. No one would do it if it wasn't good. That was fun. That was exciting. And now it didn't deliver what it promised. And now I'm in. If I just get these people to say these things about me, then I could find fulfillment. I could be filled up by their compliments rather than the truth of God. And, and in the moment, but then... You need more, right? If this money, if I just had this much money and, there's, and it just keeps going, like pick your temptation and it promises something. And what we do is then we place our faith in the promises of sin rather than the promises of God. And that's sin. And what happens is we miss out on what God has for us every time. It's 100%. It's absolute. Every time someone does this, look at Esau, look at the Israelites, the example in our passage, Hebrews 3, the Israelites, they believed the promises of a lie. God can, he can, God can handle leading us out of bondage. God can handle providing for us and guiding us, but he's not, he can't take us into the promised land. It's like us when we go, I trust Christ for eternity. That's the biggest decision anyone will ever make. 
What are you going to do with your sin? If you're a follower of Christ, you believe that you place all of your sin on the cross of Jesus Christ. All of the weight of that is on him. That's where your faith is. But then will you trust him with your kids? Will you trust him with your job? Will you trust him with a relationship? Will you trust him with a class? Will you trust him with a decision? And we don't. We put our faith in ourselves. We put our faith in the promises of a lie. And that's sin. And every time it causes us to miss what God has for us. So what do we do? Verse 13, go back to the text. Verse 12, I'll read to you again. But see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, and what's a sinful? Romans 14, 23, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But here's what you do. Here's the answer. Encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today, as long as you have the opportunity to, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So the second point we need to learn is this. We must battle sin, but we can't do it alone. We must fight together. In this battle with sin, the Bible tells us it's something we can't do alone. We must fight together. We saw that video at the beginning. There's certain things in life you just can't do alone. You can't play football all alone. You can't play hide and seek all alone. You can't fist, I mean, you can fist bump, but it's like weird, isn't it? I mean, way to go, you. I mean, you can't do that alone. The Bible's filled with things you can't do alone. In fact, you can't be an obedient Christian and not be living in intimate relationships with other believers. How do you love one another alone? How do you pray for one another alone? How do you uh, confess sin to one another alone? How do you carry each other's burdens? How do you sharpen one another? You go through the Bible, there's just all these one another's in Scripture. You can't do that alone. And one of the things you can't do alone is you can't fight sin alone. You'll lose it reminds me of a scene in a movie I saw probably about 10 years ago. It's a pretty intense movie uh, called Gladiator with Russell Crowe in it. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Terrible circumstances happen in his life. He's a character named Maximus. Epic kind of battle type movie. And uh, what happens is he gets, uh, becomes a slave, becomes a prisoner, and starts fighting uh, to make money for other people in battles. He does so well that they move him to the Colosseum. And that'd be like being at a football stadium today with, you know, 20, 30, 50,000 people there. And so there's this scene where he's in the Coliseum and he's with these other ragtag group of prisoners, fighters uh, that have been fighting and been brought here. They've been brought there to be slaughtered for the entertainment of the crowd. And what happens is the government officials come in and they sit down and they show the pomp and circumstance of all that. And there's a guy who's narrating the situation, telling them about the battle scene they're reenacting from history and how these are the guys that are going to get slaughtered, essentially is what he's telling the crowd. And we're going to send out the other warriors that we're going to cheer for in just a moment. And then they zoom in on Russell Crowe's face while all that's going on in the background. 20,000 people are chanting and all this stuff's taking place. And he just keeps looking forward, but he's speaking to the men around him. And he says, any of you fought in the army? And one of the guys says, I have. And he looks over for a second and goes, you can help me. And he looks forward. He says, whatever comes out of that gate, they don't know what's about to happen. We have a much better chance of surviving if we stick together. And then he says, with much more confidence, we will survive only if we stick together. The gate's open. Out of the gates come different warriors with all kinds of armor on. They're on these chariots. They've got bow and arrows. They've got spears. All Russell Crowe and his guys have are a spear and, and a, a little shield. And what happens is a couple guys straggle off. They get picked off right away. And then he yells to them in the moment. He says, together, hold. And they all kind of come together. They put their shields together. And they're shooting the arrows and throwing their spears and riding around them with horses and chariots. And nothing's happening. A couple people straggle off. They get picked off. 
And then when they're coming at him, he says, hold, pulls them all together. A chariot comes, hits the shields, falls over with, and then they start to win. They win the battle. Messes up the entertainment for the day, by the way. But they win because they fought together. And that's what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. You can only do this if you fight together. You can't win the battle of sin unless you fight together. He says it in verse 13, but encourage one another. The word for encourage there has three different levels of meaning. It doesn't just mean like write them a note or send them an email, give them a smile. It means this, warn them, warn people when they're going down the wrong path. Wait, that's counter our culture. You can't do that. That means you hate them. <laughs> that's what it's saying. You've got to warn them. And then it also means to reproof or correct someone. Correct someone in love. That's the word encourage there is it would be in love. Or give them courage. Give them the courage to do the right thing. Spur them on. Spark them on. If they're going on the right path, keep giving them words of truth. And if they're not, put your arm around them. Help them guide, guide them back onto the path. And who are we doing this to? One another. It doesn't say each other. It says one another, which gives the idea of mutual accountability, which is exactly the opposite of what most of American church produces. Most of us are so individualistic, we come to church, we want to get our word for the day, for me. For, and you're not even thinking about, like, what's the name of the person three seats down from you? Much less, are they going to be here in three weeks? Because let me tell you something I know to be true about today. I don't know what God's going to do in your hearts. I don't know what's happening in your life at this moment. I know this to be true. One year from now, many of the people I'm looking at right now will not be here. Some of you, that'll be for good reasons. Um, we did a study on our demographics of our church about a year ago, and we knew in a year's time from about 200 people had moved away. Just moved away. You got job transfers. Some people get sent out to be missionaries, like all kinds of stuff. Some people just buy a different house. They move to a different part of town. And that's all great. And those are all good things. And hopefully while you're here, we can invest in you in such a way that you take whatever you learn, you take it to somewhere else. That's awesome. But we also know this to be true. Some people leave because they're dry spiritually, and they think by bouncing from church to church, they're going to find a fix. Some people leave because their marriage falls apart. Some people just abandon the faith, and they don't go to church anywhere. And here's what happens. People are straggling off, and they're getting picked off. And so what's the answer? The answer is not better worship. The answer is not better children's ministry. It's not better preaching. It's not a better vision. It's not some better program. Let me tell you the answer. The answer is one another. That's what the scripture says right here. Don't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Don't the heart of unbelief, but encourage one another. You gotta, it's each other. So what do we offer you as a church? We offer you each other. And we do it through the form of what we call small groups. We call them e-groups at our church, which is just because they're based on the values of our church. Encounter, which is encountering the living God. And we believe when you encounter God, you will be changed. And so we have encounter groups. We do embrace groups, embracing one another, engage groups. And we talked about what encounter groups are like. Encounter groups are our version of Bible studies. Okay, they're six weeks long to 12 weeks long typically, and they might study a topic, they might study prayer, or they might study finances, or something along those lines. Or they may study the Gospel of John, or something that's happening, fasting, why do we fast? Like Whatever it is, like along those lines. But here's the difference in that and just knowing, doing a normal Bible study. Our encounter groups, we think that you should then respond in some way. Because encountering God is we see Him accurately, which is from the Scriptures. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the very Word of God. But we don't want you just to know the Bible more, because then you're just more accountable for your sin. We want you to do something, live differently. And so every encounter group is based on there should be a response. It might be repentance, it might be worship, it might be service, it might be something with one another, but there should be a response. And so we do encounter groups, and those are one way to get connected and learn the scripture better. Another group that we do is called our embrace groups. Our embrace groups are like your traditional small groups that you'd see in a lot of different churches where we want to live out the one another's of scripture. 
Our embrace groups are the place where, it's the primary place where we care for one another as a church. If someone calls our church and something's wrong or good, if they had a baby, they're getting married, there's an anniversary, good thing. If somebody died, if somebody's in the hospital, somebody had an accident, bad thing, the first question our staff is trained to ask is this, what group are they in? Here's why. Because if they say they're not in a group, we know at that moment, no matter what we do next, what happens next, they will not get cared for the way they could have been cared for. Because it's not a program that cares for people. It's not because of the group. That it's because of each other is how we're supposed to care for one another. It's not just the pastor's job to go do it. It's not some net that we have in place of systems to go do it. It's each other. And so our groups are where we try to connect each other in that way. Where people are praying for one another, that's what happens in embrace groups. They're sharing with one another. They're sharpening one another. They're caring for one another. They're doing Acts chapter 2 together. If you want to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, that's what we're trying to do. And so what you see our groups do is they usually, they typically meet weekly on a regular basis, and they'll meet in the homes of people, and they'll talk about the message. So they're talking about the Bible, and they'll go deeper than what the message is. And so you'll get a study that we write that gets sent to you that has questions in it. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to know. If you've listened to the message, you can contribute. They'll talk about the Bible, they'll pray together, they'll spend some time fellowshipping with one another and hanging out and getting to know each other. They're not just designed so that you have friends at church. Okay, some people say, I don't want to be in a group, I already got friends. That's not to get you friends. Some people might need you, but the deal is, it's so that we'd fight sin together. And the way that happens is we keep encouraging each other, giving each other the courage to walk by faith. And so that's the primary place where that happens in our embrace groups. Those last typically 10 months to some of them two years long is what we've seen the cycle of, of life of those are. And then we have our engaged groups. Our engaged groups are really around a cause, and, and they're focused in our community. And so what's going to happen here in a moment with Sunday is I'm going to stop talking, believe it or not. And uh, what will take place then is we will send you out in the hallway and give you one of these little booklets here that have the three E's on the front with these E's on my shirt. And in the booklet, I'll just give you a summary of it right away. Uh, the first couple pages are just what I was just telling you. Um, what our three values are, encounter, embrace, engage, what those different groups are, how they're kind of structured. And then what happens is uh, we're going to go ahead and let people go that are leading some of these things, but there's going to be leaders out there. So if you're a leader, you can go ahead and get up and head out in the lobby out there right now. You're going to see them. They're going to be wearing these shirts um, like the one that I have on. And the first couple pages are about the encounter groups that we're offering this fall. Encounter groups, like I said, equip you, understand the scriptures, live out this Christian life. Uh, the first one on here is foundations, which is uh, foundational things of the faith. How to study your Bible. How to pray. It's led by Jason Tovey, our shepherding pastor, who you saw in the video uh, before the message this morning. It's got 10 weeks long. It happens right here on Sunday mornings. And go see him. He's on a blue ta- a tablecloth. Blue tablecloths are encounter groups. Red tablecloths are embrace groups. And the green tablecloth is where you're going to go for the engage. Get it? Green, go. Huh? Like that? Uh-huh. They're pretty smooth. I didn't think of that. They're great out there. Um, and the, the encounter groups are on the side over by children's ministry. There's another one. There's a women's one called the Daniel Plans about dieting. There's a financial one that's taking place. Everybody could probably use that. There's two men's groups that are taking place. One, 33, uh, men's fraternity one um, that you'll see on there for all men. There's one called Raising a Modern Day Night. For those of you who have young men in your lives, whether you're a grandfather or father, there's an orphan care one that are taking place. Those are some of our encounter groups. Our embrace groups are the next several pages in here. And there are all kinds of, I can't list off every one. Um, the Evans group's a great one for young, young folks, 20s and 30s, singles and couples. There's a, a Southbridge um, college group that's taking place led by one of our college students, David and Cassione. Um, there's a group on here for 40 and up, the Nichols group, some of the sweetest people you'll ever meet. I know child care is a big deal 
for some folks, if you turn the page on pages three and four of the Embrace Group section, the top two groups there both offer child care. So that would be one for you to check out the Williamson Group. They are Ohio State fans, but we let everybody come to church. And so, um, <laughs> love you, Keith. Uh, um, they meet right around the corner from the church, and uh, they're right, right here. So if you're in this area, um, they're right here, 27613 zip code. Uh, the Kirsten Group, they're a great couple, and they are up in Durham. The Nance Group, uh, they're an awesome couple, and they've got some fun folks co-leading with them, the Depths, the New Schaefers. If you don't like fun, do not go to their table. If you like fun, go to their table. The Moore Group, I've been in group with the Moors. Hospitality is a, a super big gift of theirs. They love Jesus. They love the scriptures. The Briley Group out in Wake Forest. Oh, the Nance Group is down in Apex. For those of you who are coming from the Holly Springs, Apex, Cary area. And there's other groups in here too. You can check them all out. Um, the Engage Groups um, will all be at the same table where we're going to be signing up for Southbridge Serve. So if you're a member of our church, you know what that is probably. Southbridge Serve is an event we do once a year, try and serve our community. And so go out to that tablecloth. Even if you're already in a group, you should go to the Southbridge Serve table and just sign up that you're going to be serving in, in October for our Southbridge Serves. But out of that is what we plan to launch our engaged groups out of. And then also Celebrate Recovery will be out there. Um, and they deal with anybody that's 18 years or older that has hurts, habits, and hang-ups. So anyone over 18, essentially, is uh, welcome to come to the Celebrate Recovery table there. And so here's what's going to happen. In just a moment, we don't want you to miss this opportunity. And so, you know, like the guy on the phone, walks right by his wife on the thing. You go get in a group. Don't miss it. Now, are you going to meet your wife there? I don't know. Maybe it's happened. I can't make any promises. But God may have a plan for you that we could never guess today, getting connected with different folks. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. We're going to dismiss you. We're getting done early today. If you have kids, do not go pick up your kids, okay? If they're in junior high, if they're in uh, bridge kids, don't get them. Teachers are already playing lessons. You'll disrupt the whole class. So wait at least 10 more minutes. Wait at least until 11.43 or 45, if your watch might be a little different than my clock. 11.45. Don't go pick up your kids before 11.45. If you're already in a group, just talk to people. That's part of church too. (laughs) Mingle around. Maybe you can encourage someone. Maybe you can invite someone to your group. If you're not in a group and you're not ready to be in a group, just talk to people. Get to know some people. Maybe go to lunch with somebody. It'd be a great experience. If you're new to the church and you're not sure about all this thing, come meet me under the blue tent. I would love to meet you and we can talk. But don't go get your kids, okay? Wait at least 10 minutes to go get your kids. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to send you out. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity um, to not just attend church today, but to be church, to connect with one another, to care for one another. I pray for someone here today who has a burden that's heavy that this time we're going to be able to dismiss together, that you would allow someone to help them carry that burden today without being in a group or anything like that, that you just let somebody see a heavy face and do something about it. And God, I pray um, for each one that's here that you would not allow us to live life in isolation or in a facade or in the deceptiveness of our own heart thinking that we're far better off than we are. God, you'd lock arms with each other, that we'd put us together, you'd unite us together, and that we'd come to know you better as a result. Please sharpen us, encourage us, and strengthen us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We love you. Make sure you grab one of these books, and don't get your kids. See ya.